You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Luke chapter 1, as we get into the gospel here. And so, what is Christmas all about? What is Christmas all about? And in the very beginning here of Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. So let me pray and we'll get into this. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you would come upon your word and speak to us in all of our needs. You'd help us to understand Christmas. You'd help us to understand Jesus. You'd help us to understand your your plan and your will and your knowledge for life. So God, instruct and guide us now, I pray, all the more in Jesus' name we say, amen, amen. amen. Okay, so what is Christmas all about? We're actually reading what I'm gonna call the first Christmas miracle here, which is surrounded around Zechariah. So Pastor Clay and I, over these next two to three weeks, are actually gonna team teach through um, an understanding of Christmas. And we're saying, what is Christmas all about? And it's basically character studies that you're gonna get. And so today we're talking about Zechariah. And uh, he'll be with you next week. And then together on Christmas Eve, we'll be team teaching together. So here's, here's what I wanna say about Christmas. What's it all about? So I could, of course, talk about everybody outside the church and what they think of it. And that would be uh, appropriate. And last week I had some comments related to that. We could talk about where our culture's at with that, but we actually need to talk about us. What do you know and understand about Christmas? So that is a concern of mine, pastorally. What do you understand about Christmas? Do you understand just some handful of basics? Do you know where it's at in the Bible? You wanna bring your Bible to church when you come to church. The Ranch Church loves the scriptures. <laughs> so you want to actually bring your Bible. Now, I know some people bring their digital device, right? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. No, that's not fine. <laughs> Why? Okay, well, here's what I don't know. I'll just poke at you a little bit about. I know some people tell me why I turn my notifications off. All right. Well, see, I have a Puerto Rican mother, and I love her. I love her. Her name's Millie, Mama Millie. And Mama Mealy knows that Pastor Rick is a preacher of the gospel. So what is Pastor Rick doing every Sunday? I'm doing this, okay? My mother loves me. When does my mother call me? When I'm preaching the gospel. She will. She'll sometimes, sometimes I use this color over here to also watch the clock and keep my page there or whatever. So, so she, will, she will actually call me, right? It's my Puerto Rican mama, right? And then I'll say, I'll say, hey, my, hey, mama, no se puede me llamar así. You know, can't call me during this time. That kind of thing. And she goes, no, son, you're not the Catholic priest. It's okay if I call you during church. <laughs> I go, no, 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 it's not okay. I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, like I'm doing my thing. I'm actually preaching. No, so is everything okay? Because you call me during church. No, yes, yes. I just wanted to know how my boy is doing. Right? Okay. Okay. She loves me. I love her, right? So my point with digital devices is this. You get interrupted. So it's not like a sin or anything else like that. I'm giving you my pastoral advice. I'm trying to disciple my church into some wisdom. I'm trying to help you to understand that some point, when are you going to turn this thing off and stop it from dominating your life? And when are you going to open this thing and let it control and center and anchor your life and lead you to every single blessing that Jesus Christ wants you to have? Amen? 
And when's that going to happen? It happens at church. Okay, so get a paperback Bible. Open it with me when I'm preaching, when I'm teaching. I understand I have new friends here and your guests. No problem. I'm talking to the home team at this moment. You open your Bible. You take notes in it. Okay, you read it. You do what it says, and you're going to be blessed. So when we come to the Christmas story, that's part of our concern. How much of this do you really understand? How much do you really know about the fact that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven? I wrote a letter to the church this week, sort of encouraging you know, about part of the miracle of heaven of Jesus doing that. And I was actually holding in my hand, this is uh, somebody who was even before me, and I just found this old thing in my uh, these boxes because we moved out of our office and so I'm downsizing and I found this old Keith Green cassette tape from like 1975 or 76 or whenever it was and this thing was very old and I actually wanted to put it in an old cassette player but I was afraid of breaking it. So so here's what Keith Green would be, fully, totally different era, hippie, revivalist. He was a, he was an uh, incredible musician. He'd be on his piano and he's doing his thing and he'd stop. And unlike most people today leading worship, that brother would preach the word. And he would preach without any reservation. And he would call people out. And then he's back on his piano. He's doing his thing. And so he starts talking. He starts talking in one of his gospel preaching music messages. He starts thinking, did you guys ever think that Jesus stepped out of heaven on the earth? And what does that mean? Well, it means that he was hanging out with angels. It means he was in the glory of his Father in heaven. It means that he was enjoying perfect glory and worshiping himself as the Son of God. And it means that he was going to come to earth in this place that was broken and full of evil and wars and tragedies and all of that. And so Keith Green on his piano just stops. He goes, so you know what it looks like to be on planet earth? It's like being in a toilet bowl. That's what we are like compared to heaven. We are like living in a toilet bowl and trying to make ourselves perfectly happy here when he's got heaven for us. Merry Christmas. And he starts just jamming. Do you know that? That's what Christmas is. This incredible miracle where he didn't have to do it, where God is in heaven and decides to come to earth and fit himself into humanity. So that even though you would reject him and rebel him, he would love you and save you and guide you. So here we are in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Now when he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by law to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So I've skipped down for just time's sake a little bit, and that's speaking about Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest, and he's going into the temple, and he's going according to his division. So if you're with me in my Tuesday night studies, we've handled this at depth, where King David set up for the entire nation of Israel this wonderful system where everybody had to come to the temple at least once or twice a year to serve. You came according to your family. You came according to your friends. Actually, they loved it. It was really fun. And uh, they, they came from large distances. They came according to these divisions. And so the divisions was simply this. You guys are coming Monday. You guys are coming Tuesday. You guys are coming Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Okay, that's all it was. And you inherited these divisions by your family and your family name. And you came together with, into Jerusalem with your friends. 
you came and you camped out and you, you had this adventure together. It was very wonderful. So now with this time period, though, this is called Herod's Temple. And Herod's Temple, which is the Herod Temple of Jesus, was something that was rather blasphemous. Most people don't really understand that. Herod, Herod was a man who, in rebellion to God, tore the temple down and rebuilt it like 10 times bigger. And, and he did it uh, because he, was, he had all kinds of political reasons, and he did it to appease some Jews and certain others, and simply because he could do it. In fact, what he tried to do is he tried to put an eagle's crest on top of the temple in order to actually show that Rome was over, was over the Jews. In other words, what he was actually trying to say was the gods of Rome were over Yahweh and didn't work. And that thing came tumbling down and fell down. So in this moment when Zechariah is going into this, this place here, he's actually going to go, though. He's going to actually go into this temple. There's no Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so, you know, that predates Steven Spielberg. And, and there's nothing like that there. But he, nonetheless, even though this temple has been really perverted, it's not what God designed, all of that, nonetheless, in good faith, Jews would simply come into that Herodian temple, it's called the Temple of Jesus Day, and attempt some degree of sincere worship under God. In that sense, their hearts were, were right before him. So Zechariah enters the temple. Outside is something called the Court of the Gentiles, a very large platform. People are worshiping. It's very, very loud. We might think more of a contemporary worship uh, concert, you know, something in uh, more like a stadium, like a Chris Tomlin or something like that, or a Mercy Me. That's the Court of the Gentiles, an incredible, enthusiastic uh, worship going on. And then there's the Court of Women prayer and intercession that's going on. So there's all of this activity, and then he has been chosen uh, by, by lot, it says, but it's really God's choice for him to go into the temple and perform this service of incense there. And pick it up with me now in verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Can everybody say the word angel? Now you're going to find out about angels a little bit. This is an angel. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. That's because when you read more of the Old Testament and you see angelic sightings, they are actually massive beings of incredible strength. And so most people to actually see an angel are like, whoa, that's really big. And that's really powerful. And they saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, look at this, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, which is incredible. And he will be go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared. Wow. It's an ordinary day. Okay, sure, I'll go in. Okay, you know, who's going to go into the temple? Zechariah is going to go into the temple. 
okay, Zechariah's going to go into the temple. You guys got me? Okay, great. In prior days, when the Ark of the Covenant was in there and the temple was truly, truly sacred, it was so sacred they would put a rope on the person's leg because if they were in there lacking any kind of covering of God for their sins, they would be killed instantly. I don't know if that was actually going on now. They might have done it as for habits. But Zechariah goes in. He's going to, look at he's going to a barbecue and he's going to light it. And on that barbecue, he's going to put some incense. And this incense is going to go and wave as a worship offering. That's all he's doing. And it's dark. Have you ever been just doing what you're doing in life? And then all of a sudden, God intervenes. You know, you're going about your business, maybe minding your business. And God intervenes. That's exactly what's going on here. And so this angel tells him, that this very, very old man and his elderly wife are now going to have a baby. How would you feel about that if that's you? Being an elderly person way beyond childbearing years, and you find out that, no, now we're going to have our very first child. We've never had children before. Well, oddly enough, as the angel said, that was an answer to prayer. We don't know if it was prayed at that moment. We don't know if it was prayed, I'm sure, many times before. But Zechariah is actually going to have a reaction to that that might actually surprise you. And now here, here in uh, verse 18, the Bible says, And Zechariah said to the angel, Can I give you a pastoral word of encouragement, comfort, and direction? If an angel talks to you, be careful. Like, do not mess around. So Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? What? He just showed up and told you what's going to happen. Okay, here's God's grace. He's going to listen. For I am an old man. Excuse number one. You don't know what you're doing, angel. Maybe Yahweh doesn't know what he's doing. He's missed his chance. He's missed his opportunity. In case Yahweh's not paying any attention, old people beyond childbearing years don't have children. And my wife is advanced in years. So there it is. I'm old and she's old and we prayed and it didn't happen. Angel, get over it. And the angel answered him. dun da you got to follow this in your Bible. It's really good. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Take that in for a moment. I stand angelically in the presence of God, and I am here for you. Do not reject what I say. And I was sent, the text says, to speak to you and bring you this good news. So you understand, you understand, we're talking about the birth of John the Baptist, the first Christmas miracle, and this is good news. This is really good news. Hey, an angel appeared, told me that my life stream is going to happen. It's all going to come true. And the response of Zechariah was, I'm not having it. It's not good news. The answer of that prayer is decades too late. 
And, and God's saying, no, this is actually good news. And so now the angel is going to continue with them. In verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at the delay of the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And in, when his time of service had ended, he went home. And after these days, Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. Thus the Lord had done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. So the angel is going to correct Zechariah. And it's a great lesson for us. I mean, God's visitation, we cannot hide behind religion. We cannot hide behind our woes. We cannot hide behind our humanity. God's visitation is so powerful that he's going to actually overwhelm the circumstance. And I have a few more applications at the end, but I want you to get this story. And so we're going to keep moving. I want to, I want to shift now to the little lighter part of the chapter in verse 21. And in verse 21, actually, no, I lost my place. I want to go to verse 57. Verse 57, verse 47. Verse 57. So listen, this is the birth of John the Baptist. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her, and on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. So you understand what's going on. Going to be named after the oldest, uh, after the father, the oldest son would be named after. So they said to her, But none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote. So that's what he's got to do. He's got to write it down on this tablet. And he said, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loose. And he spoke, blessing God. Do you notice the difference? The first time in the visitation, he's not cursing God, but he's not having it. No, I'm too old. No, it doesn't work that way. No, don't you understand my wife? And here, here at the birth of his child, at John the Baptist, he's now praising the Lord and blessing God. Verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with them. And I'm only going to read the next verse, 67, which says, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is the first Christmas miracle, the birth of John the Baptist. Now, friends, do you need a miracle? You need a miracle? Because God is in the miracle working business this day. He is. 
He has not stopped working miracles for his kingdom. He's not stopped working miracles for his people. He is in the miracle working business today. And I obviously don't know all of the miracles that are necessary in your life, but most miracles start at a point and then you actually begin to work it and walk it out. And you come to a point, a very true and genuine belief where you believe what God has said and done and you begin to walk it out. This is actually John the Baptist. This is his birth. Jesus will come slightly afterwards. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Let me mention a few thoughts here related to, related to this story, related to this text. So first, that I want you to understand, what kind of days are we living in? You know, you think about all the things you hear. What kind of days are we living in? What kind of days are you living in? I'm here to tell you, first principle, that we are living in the most exciting days ever, except maybe for a handful of things you might read in the Bible, like the birth of Christ, like the birth of John the Baptist, like the cross and resurrection, like the Red Sea crossing. But outside of maybe a handful of biblical miracles like that, we are actually living in the most exciting days ever. You hear about wars, there's no more rumors of wars. We have, we're, we're seeing them and hearing them. But we are actually living in the most exciting days ever. Do you understand that for the last decade or so, there has been an overwhelming abundance within the Muslim world? I'm talking about in Jordan. I'm talking about in Saudi Arabia of absolute dreams and visions that Muslims have had of Jesus. And they've actually binded together and began church movements. I was trying in June to go and be a teaching pastor for some of these in Jordan, and the Lord simply had other plans. But the truth is, that's the truth. And these churches are not little dozen people here, dozen people here. Those are, those are churches of five, six, seven hundred. Some of them are in refugee camps and other places throughout the Muslim world. And then, of course, back in the day, I spent a few months ministering in Israel, and back in that day, trying to evangelize an Israeli or tell them about Jesus was like, you are not going anywhere with me now. But in this day, that has all changed. Do you realize that modern day Israel actually embraces Christians as their friends now? Beforehand, they always had this bias, sadly, about uh, accusing Christians of being part of Hitler's regime. And so that was a bias that was constantly against Judaism in Israel. That's gone. Now Israelis actually view Christians as their co-laborers in the kingdom of God. We are living in the most exciting days ever. And you should just hang on to your Bible and watch what God does. The kingdom of God is dragging history around. and It's dragging history around to the actual return of Christ, the rapture of his church. But we're living the most exciting days ever. Secondly, in terms of thoughts to think about related to this story is that within our humanity, pain and bitterness can keep you from quickly embracing the power of God. Now, pain and bitterness, and we all have varying degrees of disappointment that we've had to face in our lifetime or things that we've had to actually overcome in our lifetime. And sometimes some of us wish we were somebody else or maybe that we had somebody else's talents or gifts or maybe we were like other people that, you know, hey, those people are socially accepted. 
I'm not socially accepted. Why can't I be like those people are more socially accepted? Well, if you don't feel socially accepted, welcome to the ranch church. We accept you. <laughs> we like you and we love you the way you are. Just come and we'll walk with you and God will do miracles in your life as with us. But everyone has these things. Everyone does. And some are more large and serious than others, but everyone has pain and disappointment and things that, quite frankly, didn't exactly work out the way they wanted. And that can keep you from quickly embracing the power of God. This was Zechariah's problem. You have to understand a woman in Judaism. So a woman in Judaism, this was not the Bible's teaching per se as they walked it out, but if you did not have a child, you were considered barren and cursed. So a woman who could not give childbirth was considered cursed of God. And what that meant generally was that she was a, some form of a social outcast. And I don't know if that was true of Elizabeth, but it was possible. And so imagine uh, this whole aspect of your life where you're going, well, I don't know. I don't control this. Is it my husband? Is it me? Is it both? Whatever the case is, this is very painful. It's very painful to not have a child with my peer group and everybody going in uh, that season of life. Remember, Zechariah's a priest, so it's all in the religious context. And I don't have this blessing that all of my other friends have. And it hurts. This is what Elizabeth is saying. And the decades roll on, and the decades roll on, and the decades roll on. And Zechariah's wearing it. He sees it in his wife. He prays to God. He wonders about these things. And there's a bitterness inside him, such a strong bitterness, such a deep bitterness, that an angel named Gabriel, who's from the presence of God, shows up in his life, and he will have none of it. It's why every single service I make some sort of true invitation for you to get out of your seat and come and visit Christ in prayer because that can put you in bondage. And I'm done with bondage. I'm done with bondage for you. I'm done with bondage over our church. Christ has saved us for liberty. And so that liberty means a supernatural power which overcomes all the things that we can talk about. Third, God sees your pain and sadness. God sees your pain and your sadness. But if you're looking in my notes, there's still one more phrase that I have with that in the same sentence. God sees your pain and sadness and does not run away. That's God. Zechariah, giving an angel the business, giving it to him really good, and God didn't run away. Talking back to God, almost a form of cursing God, engaging in a form of active disobedience and disbelief and saying, no, God, you've wronged me. You hurt me. My wife, I lived with her for decades and decades. All the pain that she carried day after day after day after day, and that was you, is what he's saying. 
right outside the Holy of Holies. And God didn't zap him. He loved him. He didn't run away. He gave him a little bit of a lesson, though, huh, church? Might need to be quiet for a while. God sees your pain and sadness does not run away. Fourth, and you're going to love this one, God's faithfulness does not depend upon your obedience. So we, we come to faith by exercising faith that God gifted us to have, and we repent. So that is a recalibration. The word repentance simply means you're going the wrong way, and the commander tells you to go the right way. It's actually a military word. Obedience comes as a fruit of that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes as a fruit of that. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness comes as a fruit of that. God's faithfulness does not depend upon your obedience for which we should all shout and say amen. Zechariah is not exactly obedient there. I'll say this in a very superficial way, but my understanding is that his wife Elizabeth was more immediately obedient than he was once she understood this news. Zechariah was not. He had no faith, but God was faithful. And God is faithful because 2 Timothy tells us that God cannot deny himself. So God can actually not deny himself. So his faith and faithfulness towards us is not always dependent upon us. He will actually come in a sovereignty to actually talk to us. And there's this trust back and forth. We have the pleasure of talking to God by way of invitation. We have the pleasure of seeing God overwhelm us. This is the first Christmas miracle. What is Christmas all about? I'm convinced that one of the reasons why there's so much sadness at holiday times is because we know that we've not yet had a miracle from God the way we hope for. And so we're stopping now and we're praying for these things, whatever it might be. It could be you personally, it could be somebody else. We're praying for these things that we know and it hurts. But this is the first Christmas miracle that would actually change everyone's life. And I believe that there actually is that for you right now, that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is talking to you to re-engage and to actually believe that God will change your life right now, that God will actually interact with your life right now, that God will actually hear your prayer right now, And the exercise of that faith will require a faith action on your part, a certain kind of vulnerability. Jesus Christ has these words that he says. He speaks about, if you deny me in front of others, I deny you in front of the Father. And so part of the rhythm of cooperating with the kingdom of God is that we do not deny his presence. We do not deny his invitations in our life, which are constant and ongoing. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.